We're so glad you're here to listen to this week's sermon from Park Street Church. Park Street is a historic congregation located in the heart of Boston. But more than that, we're a community of people from all different backgrounds who believe and are united by the good news that Jesus is Lord. If you're asking questions about God, your faith, or the meaning and purpose of life, we would love to connect with you. Visit us at parkstreet.org to learn about our community. We hope this sermon encourages you today. As we bring this missions conference to a close today, the aim of this time is to encourage all of us to grow in our intentional and sacrificial commitment to the mission of God. And uh, honestly, there's no better way to spend our lives than to give them over to the purposes of God, to his mission and his work. And our chief motivator for this, I hope this has been, this is clear for all of us, is, uh, is actually just being overwhelmed with the love and grace of God in his son, Jesus, to us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, for we are, the love of Christ controls or compels us. And that is our primary motivation, our chief motivation. And so anything else that I say today has to come underneath that umbrella that the only thing that's really going to sustain our engagement with God's mission as his people is just being undone by God's amazing provision and love in the Lord Jesus. Every other motivation is a subset underneath that and any kind of guilt or twisting or manipulation is just going to be short-lived if anything it will produce bad fruit in our lives but when we begin to be animated by the love of God and move into a more faithful and obedient life that's aligned with his purposes even more this is just a pathway to a wholehearted outpouring from us into a life that is well-lived and pleasing to God and fulfilling deeply So I want to start there because everything that we're going to look at, we're going to examine two parables, these two brief parables in Mark chapter 4 that Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God. And in these parables, they're about the kingdom, they're about seed. Our theme is seeds of the kingdom. Jesus gives what I'm going to point out as three additional motivations or three additional factors that move us into God's mission with assurance. But I want to be clear and say that these three things are underneath that chief motivator. There would be no kingdom if it weren't for the amazing love and grace of our God in sending his son into the world. There would be nothing for Jesus to really speak about here if it weren't for the initial work of God's amazing grace. That is the foundation of our lives and is the foundation of of God's kingdom as well. So we're going to tackle these two short parables. We're going to see three basic things. The first thing is the inevitability of growth. The second is um, the context of the coming harvest. And then the third is the contrast between the beginning and the end. And again, all three of these points, I hope, are encouragements and motivations for us to step further into the mission of God. So let's start with the inevitability of growth. And look with me at the text at Mark chapter 4, verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. The point in this short parable, of course, is that the seed sprouts and grows outside of and quite apart from human effort. 
The sower does in fact sow the seed, but doesn't even know how this growth occurs. Look at verse 27 again. The seed sprouts and grows as the sower sleeps and rises night and day. And then it says, he knows not how. It is a surprise. It's out of his hands. It happens by itself, verse 28. And the, the word that's translated here, it's the first word in verse 28 as a matter of emphasis is automate, from which we get the word automatic. It grows by itself, automatically. That is the divine will and purpose. Ensure that the seed grows. God's word will not return to him void. There is a power at work here that we cannot see. But it is working nonetheless. That's the main point of this first parable. And as we think about giving ourselves more fully to the mission of God and stepping into that mission more and more. This parable does two things. This main point of the parable, I think, does two things for us. First, it encourages us. I hope it encourages you. Even if we can't see the impact of what we're doing, of the seeds that we've sown, we can rest assured that because of the power of God, that the seed will grow and bear fruit. Like the germination of a seed under the ground God is building his church and working in unseen and unknown, unknown ways to cause sprouting and growing. God is advancing his kingdom, despite the fact that there is tremendous opposition and great challenges and constant attack, both from outside and from inside. We know, as Jesus said, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. The overflowing work of God's kingdom through his people. And that should give us tremendous assurance and freedom and inspiration that the seed will grow. Just a, a small little witness from one of our missionaries. There's a bunch of writing about our missionaries in the Welcome Center that I hope you'll take the time to read. Uh, one of them is, uh, his name is Benjamin, and he's one of our missionaries in a Middle Eastern country where he's doing a ministry with horses. And he said this, he said, I entered into full-time language learning several months ago and began to look at horses, and I found one. They were going to start this ministry with horses, which is in his background at a ranch in this nation and he said I said if we're going to start this equine program this is the horse and then the guy selling it to us said well then you should take two so right after that I got a call from another guy who said I have two horses for you and I can bring them to you so within the space of two weeks we had four horses that little bit of God causes this to grow God causing the growth in unexpected ways so we should be encouraged by this reality that God the growth is inevitable but the second thing about this reality that I, I do think is important for us to acknowledge is we should be humbled as well. Encouraged, yes, there will be growth, but humbled. The, father, the, the farmer actually doesn't know how the growth occurs. He knows not how. So for all our efforts at growing seed individually in particular relationships and perhaps corporately in churches or Christian organizations as we develop mission statements and strategic objectives, we need to always remember that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord keeps watch over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. God's ways are, in fact, higher than our ways. And we can never think that our vision or our strategy or our mission statements are the keys to the seeds sprouting and growing, our techniques. Consider, for example, the fact of suffering. Suffering never makes it into our strategic plans, does it? Or into our mission statements. But it's the primary means by which God has worked in each of our own lives, probably. I think I'm pretty safe in saying that. 
and one of the primary means by which God has worked more broadly in the world. I mean, think about the kingdom that we're talking about, the kingdom of God. How was the kingdom of God inaugurated? It was inaugurated through the Son of God going to the cross, laying down his life, his blood being poured out. And it was through that inaugural event that the kingdom is birthed, that the enemy is overthrown, that God's kingdom begins to, to start to do its growing and expanding work. God's word teaches us again and again to expect hardships and suffering and persecutions as disciples of Jesus. And so many of our brothers and sisters around the globe experience that historically and even today. I think of Tertullian's famous quote from the late second, early third century, the Latin church father, he said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, giving witness to this fact that God uses this kind of suffering and hardship to grow his kingdom, his people. In his 2011 book, The Heavenly Man, Brother Yoon, who's a Chinese Christian, wrote this, kind of around the theme of persecution. He said, it's almost impossible for the church in China to go to sleep in its present situation. There's always something to keep us on the run, and it's very difficult to sleep while you're running. If persecution stops, he writes, I fear we'll become complacent and fall asleep. We can identify with that, can't we? in our more comfortable and affluent setting in the West. God works in these mysterious ways to bring growth. Last weekend, our Afghan brother Kai, who encouraged us about his ministry to Afghans around the world, as well as in Afghanistan, he told me that his four days that he spent in an Afghanistan prison were the four days of his life that he was most deeply aware of the presence and power of God, even as he was not being fed and as he, as he was being constantly interrogated. God was meeting him, encouraging him, deepening him in ways that he could not have anticipated through that hardship and trial. God works in these ways that often are at counter purposes with what we think are our best plans. So we're humbled as we think about the inevitability of the growth of the seed, that God will often do that despite us. His foolishness is wiser than our wisdom. His weakness is stronger than our strength. And this doesn't mean that we shouldn't seek clarity in our own lives and situations and in our corporate mission and purposes together. But, but we should always hold these plans loosely. The seed sprouts and grows, we know not how. With assurance about the inevitability of the growth of the seed through God's ordained means, then what effort can we give to the spreading of that seed even more? Not to a prideful, triumphalistic, Americanized, slick, corporate plan for success in God's kingdom. But rather to a humble, cross-shaped, passionate, joyful embrace of the call to follow the crucified one. And even to take up our cross with him. God will bring this growth. Think about God's regular use in the Muslim world of dreams as a good example of this. I mean, who of us can take credit for that? Other than God working in powerful ways. We hear that story over and over and over again in the Muslim world. One of our retired missionaries, Paul Martindale, describes uh, sharing the gospel with a, a, large, a big, big guy, tall guy, orphaned young man in a city in a Muslim country. And he said, I spent months and months answering all of his theological objections and nothing seemed to work. No movement, no change. And then one day he came to visit me. I met him at the bus stop. We're walking down the street and I see this beautiful uh, house being uh, built 
and just kind of from the ground up and you could see the, the, the work being done. And he, he said, it just, the spirit just moved me to say, you know, what did Jesus say? He says, our, our, he's going ahead of us to prepare a place for us. He said, what do orphans want more than anything? They want a home. And he, he just began to reflect on that reality with this friend of his that he had been working on for so long. And it was like the scales came off of his friend's eyes in just that moment. It wasn't through his ingenious plan. It was through a circumstance of just being present, not giving up, being faithful. And then God moves. And that man was baptized and then brought his brother to them to be baptized as well. The inevitability of the growth of the seed should be an encouragement and a humbling reality for us as we step in to the mission. The second point is the, the context, verse 29, of the coming harvest. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The idea of a harvest of the crop is already present in Mark chapter 4. There's a lot going on with seeds here. But remember at the end of the parable of the sower, on the good soil, the, 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 it will reap a, a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold a yield. There is an idea that this, this time of, of inevitable growth will one day come to an end and there will be a reckoning. There will be a, a giving of an account. There will be a harvesting. And the, the words here of sickle and harvest are indeed metaphors that Jesus uses metaphors for the last judgment. They're used in the Old Testament uh, in both, uh, in, and Jesus here in, um, in verse 29 is referring back to the prophet Joel, chapter 3, verse 13. Now, Joel's prophecy is all about the coming day of the Lord, where there will be a moment of reckoning and the wicked will be brought to account and the righteous will be vindicated. And this is what God's intention is to be in bringing this, this kind of terrifying and wonderful day of the Lord. And Verse 13 of chapter 3 in Joel says, Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. And Jesus references that here, pointing to that coming reality of a harvest time. The New Testament again and again affirms the coming day of judgment in which all of us will stand before the Lord Jesus and give an account. And the reality of this coming harvest the reality that there is a transition at some unknown point in the future when Jesus will return shapes and gives urgency, a sense of urgency to the mission of God's people. When Paul is describing his ministry to the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 and he's departing from the elders for the last time, he says to them, he, he, he says that this harvest, this future harvest, he had had in mind all the time as he was ministering among them. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What Paul is saying is my ministry was deployed in your midst, church in Ephesus, as a means of prepping you and readying you for that coming day. And I am innocent of what happens to you on that day because I've been faithful in sowing the whole seed, the whole counsel, the whole word with you. I'm no longer liable, Paul is saying to them, of judgment in your lives. So let me say this about this, this second point, because I think there is a way in which we can overplay this and actually be unduly burdened by it. I mean, the world is vast. Eight billion people, all kinds of challenges and problems, and so many who don't know the Lord Jesus, that we could be crushed by that reality in a way that is not intended, I don't believe, by the Lord. And if, those, if there are some of you here who are, tend to be immobilized by just the sheer volume 
of the challenge and of the sobering nature of this. And I would just say to us, we need to be encouraged by the gracious character of our God. And we need to lean into his inscrutable sovereignty as a good and loving father and entrust him with this, this challenge. I suspect, however, that for most of us, we tend to go in the other direction. We don't feel the burden too much. We feel it too little. Does it awaken us? Does it move us? Do we have a concern for the many within greater Boston and around the globe who do not yet know Jesus? Are we moved and motivated by their coming to life before that day comes? Are we outraged at the enemy of humanity, the God of this world who has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the beauty and the wonder and the compassion and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are, are, do we take a compassionate view toward them as Jesus did when he hung upon the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Are we moved? Walking about a city this spring in, in the Middle East with Julian, when we went on our trip together where some of our missionaries are located, I was just overcome by the sense of darkness in that place there are so few christian believers in a city of more than a couple hundred thousand people and i was so thankful for the fact that we have missionaries on the ground there who are like these little tiny pin lights like the tiny stars that first appear in the canopy of the night sky just piercing through the darkness and there were others from other places around the world that had gathered in that little city maybe 10 of them or so but I was so thankful for their presence there. And I thought we, we need to send our very best and brightest to these places where the need is so great. Because the harvest is coming. Last week I spent some time just chatting with, with Len, the brother who spent most of his life in cross-cultural work in Pakistan and Afghanistan. And he shared with us after our services last week so powerfully. And I was sharing with him about our emphasis at Park Street on engaging the city more and more and yet not seeing that in any way as in competition to the work of our, our mission around the globe and just as an addition and hopefully these things are mutually reinforcing and as I was sharing that you know as a lifelong cross-cultural worker should do he said to me Mark do you know the difference between a non-believer in greater Boston and a non-believer in the Muslim world and I think I could see where he was going and he just said access access he said, I've known so many people in my life that have never had access to the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said that to me in the context of being so deeply encouraged by his visit here at Park Street because of our emphasis upon unreached peoples and the Muslim world and Bible translation to give people who don't generally have access, access. Because the harvest is coming. This is the one Sunday a year where I don't mind saying I'd love for you to give radically and generously to the work of missions in and through this church. Because every time that we do, we're supporting more and more people getting access to the living Lord Jesus so that they can know him as savior before they meet him as judge. So that's the second point, the harvest. The third is in our second parable, the parable of the mustard seed. So look with me at verse 30. He said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. 
it's really easy, isn't it, to be discouraged in the work of mission? It's easy to be discouraged by how small it seems at times, by how inconsequential relative to the great need. And this final parable that Jesus tells in Mark 4 is a deep encouragement to us as we think about stepping further into the mission of God. The heart of this parable is the contrast between the mustard seed, which proverbially in that day was the smallest seed, seen as such a tiny seed, and what it, that's on the one hand, and what it produces on the other, which is a large garden plant that produces large branches on which the birds of the air can come and make nests in its shade. That's the contrast that Jesus is driving at here in this parable. It's the contrast between small beginnings and large endings. And that large ending is depicted in Jesus' use of this image of of a bush or a plant or a tree that grows into a strong and mighty reality. And that's used in the Old Testament. It's deployed by Ezekiel and by Daniel as well. Depicting a tree of God's planting that grows into this mighty worldwide kingdom. We read earlier in Ezekiel 17 verse 23. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it. That it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. The plant or tree for the resting nesting of the birds which depict the nations of the world is a picture of a worldwide kingdom that brings rest and restoration to so many across the world. The mighty kingdom has come, but it has humble beginnings. It starts small and obscure and unimpressive, but it grows to be large and all-encompassing. Can't that encourage us? First, this, is a, this parable is a commentary on Jesus' own ministry. Because the, people were, uh, the, the Jewish people were expecting the arrival of God's kingdom. They were awaiting God's kingdom to come. But they were expecting fanfare and battles and a direct public overthrow of their enemies who they were sure was the nation of Rome, the empire of Rome. Instead, what did they get? An obscure carpenter born in a no-name town whose disciples are ordinary and uneducated men and whose followers largely consist of tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners. That's a great way to start the kingdom. That's the small little mustard seed, which they couldn't see. And Jesus says, don't be deceived by the small beginnings because this is going to grow into something so large that all the birds of the air are going to come and find their rest or their nests in its shade. And look, honestly, when we consider history, what has happened? Just from a historical perspective, the words of Jesus here have in fact been borne out. They've been declared and showed to be true. What started as a tiny little group of Jewish people in the Middle East 2,000 years ago is today a worldwide reality and phenomenon where 2.4 billion people associate in some way, shape, or form with Christianity, with this Jesus. This is indeed a large plant with large branches whose shade has provided refuge for so many And we have, as Christians, the Christian church has ebbs and flows, found prominence in so many different ways throughout history. It's not lost to me that we're sitting in a building that when it was constructed in 1810 and erected, that it was the tallest building in North America. And here we are on on a busy street corner in a a central city of our nation. You know, we're not hidden under a bushel in 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 a side corner. This is evidence of the fact that Jesus's words did, in fact, come to be true. And our culture today, even though increasingly secular and post-Christian, bears the imprint of the Christian way of life, as the British historian Tom Holland has shown so remarkably in his 2019 book, Dominion. In other words, history has confirmed the words of Jesus here. The smallest of seeds has become a worldwide plant that brings life. But even so, 
and I should say increasingly so, because the culture is dynamic and our position within it is increasingly one of marginalization and misunderstanding. We so often feel small and insignificant, unnoticed, maybe even mocked or pitied by Hollywood or Wall Street or Washington, D.C. So our work can and does at times feel, in fact, insignificant and little, as small as a mustard seed. Especially when we are confronted with the great need and the overwhelming suffering in the world, with opposition in places like China and Iran to the gospel, with the power of materialism and hedonism in our own culture. The kingdom of God can feel so small and insignificant. And when we are discouraged and when we are tempted to lose heart in this work, we need to remember that the principle of this parable, which has been proven true in history over 2,000 years, also applies to the micro situations of yours and my daily life. That God does not despise the little things, the small beginnings, the seemingly inconsequential moments. These often God chooses to grow into great realities. Truly, truly, I say to you, you remember Jesus's words? As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You know, I've been thinking about athletics a bit this fall. Our three younger kids who are all still at home all played a fall sport. Our two girls played soccer and our son played football this fall. And it, it occurred to me that sports are so much about fundamentals. You know, it's the fundamentals. It's blocking, it's ball control, it's your handles in basketball. And all of these things that, that great athletes work on day in and day out. Just the basic building blocks. Because it's good fundamentals that make them ready for the big moments. The game-saving tackle or the interception or the three-pointer at the buzzer. It's because they put the work in on the fundamentals. And so too, I would say, with the Christian life. It's the fundamentals. It's the little things, the basic things, how we notice that person, how we meet that need, our tone of voice in that moment and more. We've had a, a little picture over our back door at our home for many years as a reminder of this, which is a saying by Mother Teresa that says, do small things with great love. Small things with great love. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ day by day seems small, insignificant, and perhaps even inconsequential, but it's these little things, these little mustard seeds that God so often grows into large garden plants. And, you know, often we look at our missionaries as examples of the kind of amazing, you know, game buzzer-beating shot, when in fact what they would tell us over and over again is that their ministries are by being faithful in the fundamentals where God has sent them. And that makes them great examples for us who also are called to be on the front lines of God's mission here in the greater Boston area, if in fact this is where we live. So a few just brief examples, but Zhang Kang, our, our recent missionary with his wife Elise in, in Japan, in the hard soils of Japan, just talks about engaging some, some Chinese students in his Japanese language program and inviting them to come along with him to church, which was a great risk for them. It's a small and little thing that has the potential to bear great fruit. Or Benjamin in the Middle East talks about the unexpected opportunity of having the chance to share Jesus with the wranglers that would come alongside his equine ministry and work with him with the horses. Not, not Christian believers, but people from a Muslim background. And how he was just faithful in being there, being present in that. 
Brian Ellis, who works closer to home on campuses around the city of Boston, speaks about his and his, his wife Melissa's efforts to, so many efforts to get just a, one student to come and have a barbecue with them and other Christians in their backyard so that student could actually see Christian community and what it feels like, taste and see that the Lord is good and get a taste of that and hear about the gospel in a Christian environment. Joanna Parada, who we'll hear from in a moment, uh, as we have a panel out just after this, speaks of God working in and through her, her, her weakness in challenging and surprising ways as she and Alberto have raised their wonderful daughter, Phoebe, who has special needs. And she talks about Phoebe being a, a magnet to people coming and talking with her. And, and she said it, I think, eloquently. I, I want to share it. She said, I feel like my ministry is one of little seeds of being open and receptive and understanding. Because of Phoebe, I've come to understand more the struggle of life and that God meets us in that struggle and uh, if anything, everything is going well all the time, it's easier to not, not to depend on God and not to see how he is faithful in those places, those times of struggle. In my weaknesses, that's where God can shine. And that's been very real for me personally, knowing that God is working all things out for his glory through these circumstances. Where are the mustard seeds in your life? The faithful little things as you're just available and surrendered, that the Lord will work through. So can we all jump more into the mission of God? Can we recognize that there's nobody on the sideline in this sport? We're all on the field. We've all been called. We've all been sent. Confident in the growth of the seed, moved by the reality of the harvest, encouraged by the fact that nothing is too little for God to use powerfully in his kingdom and that this is the way his kingdom works. That's my hope for each one of us, that we would press further into this work of mission together. Jacques Alou, the, the great thinker and pastor and political uh, agent in the mid-20th century said, what matters is whether Christians will dare to risk everything in order to fulfill their function in the world. And while the great motivation is the love of God in Christ, I do think what we see in these two parables are additional motivations to us who know that Christ's love has vanquished us and won us and called us into this great work of his mission. Who can be, we can be even more encouraged to lay down our lives and to step in. And that's surrendering to the mission of God, that giving up our lives. And I don't know what it is in your life, and I'm thinking and praying about what it is in my life to take that next step, that incremental movement, to greater fidelity to the mission of God. But it's something. There's always room to be invited in to take that step even further. For some of us, it, it does actually mean a, a, accepting a call to go into a land where it is hard and dark in the places of the world where the gospel is not known. God is still calling people into that work today through this church even, and we pray that he will call more of you to go to those places of need who have tremendous gifts and resources. They're not wasted in that context. They're used by God glor gloriously for his great honor and praise. For many of us, it means that we'll still be called to these places where he has sent us here, to our families, our neighborhoods, our, in our workplaces, and in our schools, where God longs to work through our yieldedness, our humility to him, before him and before others, that he would do that work as we're available through maybe our sufferings and our weaknesses. Of course, it means giving generously of our time and our treasure and our talents. It means being committed to prayer as the people of God. So many of our stories downstairs in the Welcome Center, which I do encourage you to read, talk about the importance of prayer. God works powerfully through the work of prayer. May I just ask, what else would you want to say at the end of your life? 
than that you gave yourself wholly and completely to God's great mission. I close with this one story that uh, Damien shares. Damien and his wife Grace led a trip to Central Asia, a short-term missions trip this summer, to a country where there's a tremendous amount of need. And they worked with a married couple. And this married couple, they were locals, had grown up in Muslim families in the Muslim world. And the Lord Jesus had, had met both of them and called them to himself through a dream. And so they came to know him. And they were rejected by their families the husband was under house arrest two different times because of his Christian faith, but they persevered. They continued to give themselves to the Lord. And when Afghans began to start flooding into the country last year, they responded to the need by starting a ministry to Afghan refugees in their land. And Damien recounts, he says, when I asked this man why he started his ministry to the refugees, he looked at me like, he didn't understand, like I had asked him a trick question. Why, he asked. Why? Because they're here. They're hungry and thirsty and need help. And Damien continues, honestly, the believers there just get it. They get that there are no unsent disciples, despite how hard it is to be a Christian in their country. Every one of us is sent by the grace and love of God. May we open our eyes to the needs that are right around us and speak and act as Jesus would have us for his glory and praise. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this mission that you are on, for how you have drawn us into it through the love of your son, Jesus. And we pray that even now you would speak to each one of us about specific ways that we can grow in being intentional and sacrificial in giving our lives over to the great work of your mission to renew and reconcile all things in your son, Jesus. We pray specifically, Lord, for your encouragement for those who are in places that are so dark and difficult where the gospel is not known, that they would be given strength, they would be given wisdom and insight and above all, just a deep assurance of your love for them that would sustain them in their work. And we pray that for ourselves, O oh God. That even if nothing else, today you would just remind us of the depth of your love expressed to us through your Son. And you would show us the folly of being self-centered and the joy of giving our lives away in your mission. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.